Hello, it's really nice to be here. Um, it's great, it's like three-sided preaching. <laughs> Fortunately, God's got my back, so I don't have to turn around and check out what's going on. Just lift your hands if you ran this morning in that 10k race. Now lift your left, lift your left leg, then your right leg, and no, I'm kidding. Well done, well done. So Steph emailed me a few months ago and said, um, so we're running in a 10k uh, on the 12th of July, and we'd love you to come and speak about running with perseverance. So I don't know whether that's to like wind everyone up, <laughs> who's feeling like they want to be underneath their chair right now. But, um, but I'm really excited to be here this afternoon and to, um, to share with you from God's Word, really, about what it means to run with perseverance. And I'm sort of, I'm, I'm currently ill-qualified to speak much about actual running because um, I'm not doing loads of running at the moment but I did once run the London Marathon um, I know just get that one in there that's that's four 10ks just like you'd say you know just feel that there and um, anyone else here run a marathon there's always someone somewhere yes there you go it's a doddle isn't it it's like a walk in the park <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> I'm never going back, am I? No, but, um, but I think actually the metaphor of running isn't just a nice idea. It's actually a biblical metaphor. So we're going to look in the, in the New Testament at what the Bible has to say to us about the Christian life being a race. And, um, and Paul uses this metaphor twice in his letters. So in the book, in the letter to the Corinthians, he talks about, he encourages us really as, as Christians to run in such a way as to get the prize. Um, it was sports day last week at my kids' school, and I've got three boys who are 10, 9, and 6. And, um, and they, well, the six-year-old, not so much, but the ten and the nine-year-old, they run like as if to get the prize. Um, sadly, they're not quite sprinters, so they don't actually get the prize most of the time. But they run in such a way as to get the prize within their ability. And then there was a parents race. Uh, so as you can imagine, I attempted to run in such a way as to get the prize. And um, what was really funny, and Stu's not here so I can say this, was that um, they, instead of doing a dad's race and a mum's race this year at Sports Day, they just did like a grown-ups race. But there were too many people that lined up for the first race, so they told a whole load of us to stand back. And, uh, and, and Stu stood back and about one other guy. And then all all the women stood back, which meant that the first race was technically the dad's race, and then um, some very fast men won that. And then in the second race, it was technically the women's race with two blokes in it. And, and funnily enough, Stu won. <laughs> I was like, I think you put yourself in this race on purpose. And uh, so he went through to the final. Uh, and had to race against the dads from the other race and he came second not got the prize but, um, but the, the metaphor is there in Paul's letters he also talks about it in Timothy he, he's reached the end actually of his life when he's writing to Timothy in the second letter and he, he, he's in prison and he, he says I'm going to be poured out like a drink offering he's describing like my days really serving Christ on the earth are nearly done and he says this I've, I've fought the fight and I've finished the race and um, so the metaphor of running a race is is useful for us and if Paul uses it in the Bible then I think we can use it to describe our Christian life and I just wanted to start really this afternoon some of you may be here maybe you're not part of church or, or maybe you're not a Christian or, or you're not quite sure what it means to be a Christian but I just want to start from the outset to say like becoming a Christian or being a Christian does not simply mean you switch opinions about a few beliefs it's not, the Bible doesn't describe it as like you, you sort of change your allegiances and you, you tick a different box next time you go to vote. Like, I used to not believe in God, now I believe in God. You know, I used to not think that, now I do. It's not like a, a different uh, set of beliefs. It's something much more than that. The Bible actually describes 
becoming a Christian and being a Christian as living a completely new life, a totally different life that you weren't living before. So your body might stay the same and a lot of your circumstances and, and things around you might be the same, but your very, the very nature of what your life is about now is different. And actually the Bible describes it as you've entered a race a race to run that you weren't running before. You didn't even know the race existed before. And when you come to know Christ, you discover, wow, I'm on some kind of race. I'm on some kind of destiny and I'm heading. And this race is not a sprint. It's not like the 25-meter dash at sports day where you just kind of take a deep breath and go for it and hope that you're the first one to cross the line. It is more like a marathon. It is a better metaphor, a better illustration to understand the Christian life like a marathon. In, in, in this, it will take time... And it's a long way. Like, I, um, I took up jogging after I had my second son. I, I did loads of sport when I was young. And, um, and then I had two kids. And then I realized my body needed a little bit of help to recover. And I definitely needed to shed some extra flesh that seemed to have appeared. And, uh, and my lungs seem to be working as well as they used to. So I took up running. And um, when I first started running, I didn't ever plan on running very far. I just needed to get out of the house and do some running. So it was kind of 10 minutes 15 minutes, you know, and, and that was it. But as I got into running, I discovered that you run completely differently depending on how far you think you're going to run for and how long you're going to be on the road for. And you, you approach a run very differently depending on how long you think it is. And so I want to say right early on this afternoon, the Christian life is a marathon, which means if you recently entered it, you're in it for life. And it's a long run. It's not all done and dusted in six months when you've kind of done church, done small group, been to some Bible conferences, had some training, been prayed for, got baptized, and then done. It goes on and on and on. And it's long. And the difference, one of the differences between a marathon and a sprint is that a sprint is all about speed and a marathon is all about pace. And that's because pace takes into consideration speed and distance. It is no good starting a marathon in the same way that you would start the 50-meter dash or 100-meter dash. You, you don't have it in yourself to continue. And therefore, when you're running a marathon, you start thinking about what's my pace. You consider how far have I got to go, and then you start to work out what can I manage and how fast can I run based on that. And a marathon is an endurance event. So when I first decided that I wanted to have a go at running the London Marathon, it's actually because for five or six years I'd stood on the, the marathon course because it runs down the end of my street in Greenwich. And I'd watched all these people coming past me. And, you know, initially you watch the incredibly impressive elite athletes who are, honestly, their marathon pace is faster than my sprint. They are bombing up the main road and they're going to continue that for two hours and four minutes or something and then vomit. And they're going to be the champions. And you look at that and you think, I could never do that. But if you stand at the end of the road for long enough, people start to run past you who look quite like you. You know, they don't look like Mo Farah or Paula Radcliffe. They, they sort of got different shaped bodies, different heights. They run in different styles. Some of them are wearing very strange costumes. Some of them are carrying fridges on their back or deep sea diving suits, whatever. And you start to realize that there's something about this event that draws people because not because they're really fast, not because they're really professional runners, but because they want to enter something that requires endurance. And it's an endurance event. And the Christian life is actually an endurance race. Now that might sound a little bit gloomy on a Sunday afternoon when you're feeling slightly sleepy, but that's actually a biblical view of what it is to run with Jesus. It's not to sprint to the finish. It's to endure your days on the earth running your race. Now I looked up endurance in the dictionary 
And uh, this is, there are two definitions for endurance. And then the, if you've got the NIV Bible, the word that we're going to look at in a minute is translated perseverance. So I looked up that as well. So endurance says this. It's the capacity of something to last or withstand wear and tear. It's the capacity of something to withstand wear and tear. I tell you, life wears and tears you. Um, It's also to endure an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. I I can confirm that 26.2 miles is an unpleasant and difficult process. And there are lots of moments when you want to give way. Perseverance, the dictionary says, is to persist in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. And the Bible says that to be a Christian is to run a race that requires endurance. It actually requires of us and of a work of God in us something that enables us to endure what is, can be an unpleasant or difficult process or in a situation without giving up, without giving way, to have the capacity to keep going and withstand wear and tear. And I believe that one of the things God wants to do in you this afternoon as a church is put endurance into your DNA. So that you're not a flash in the pan church in North London and you're not flash in the pan Christians. You started the race and then kind of quit after a while. But you've got endurance woven into your understanding of what it is to walk with God. Which means you'll be here, whether you're literally here or with Jesus, in 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years time. And you'll still be running your race. Endurance comes from the French word endura, which means to make hard. You know, we often, I think we often think of the Christian life about being soft. We think, you know, I, 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 I know some Christians, they're really nice people. They're gentle, they're caring, they're kind, they're soft, you know. You, you don't expect Christians to be involved in road rage or, you know, the ones at the front of the queue kind of argy-barging. You expect the Christians to be saying, oh, before you, no, no, before you. And you expect Christians to be compassionate and, and, and gentle and kind to you and, and tender. And all of that is completely true. But actually, there's something else about being a Christian, which is to have incredible toughness in the very nature of who you are because of the Christ that you're following, who was amazingly gentle and tender and incredibly tough and enduring. So other words that you can associate with endurance, to tolerate, stamina, staying power, tenacity, fortitude, determination, longevity, durability, resolution, diligence, or my favourite, grit, spunk, and stickability. So how do you respond to those words when you think about your Christian life? Or if you're not a Christian here this afternoon, how do you respond to those words? Is that what you associate a Christian walk with? Durability, stickability, grit, spunk. Or do we actually think kind of like a stroll through life with things a bit better than everyone else because we've got Jesus? Because if you read the New Testament, you find the disciples didn't really get much strolling time. In fact, the passage we're going to look at in a minute comes from the book of Hebrews, the letter of the Hebrews. And in the context in which it was being written, there's a moment when the writer says, you know, remember what you guys have been through. Imprisonment and having your possessions taken away from you, being mocked and ridiculed and excluded from society because of your following of Christ. That sounds like some stuff that needs endurance. It doesn't sound very easy or glamorous to endure, but I tell you what, it's glorious. It's not glamorous, 
but it's glorious. In fact, sometimes if you, if you stand on the side of the road and you watch the marathon runners, at about mile two, they look quite glamorous. A lot of them have got their headbands on and their funky lycra and, you know, their hair's in place still and there's a smile on the face and there's waves for the camera. But if you go to about mile 23 on the embankment, the glamour has gone. The mascara, I mean, who runs, runs in mascara? I don't understand that. But anyway, the mascara is running down the face. There's sometimes blood where someone's fallen. The sweat has soaked into their skin. In fact, this is a gross side effect. But when you run for four hours and 20 minutes, the sweat actually dries on your skin and the salt crystallizes. So you've got that kind of a lovely white coating of kind of dried salt crystals all over you. And if you to lick yourself, you taste just like a portion of chips. Um, it's not glamorous. <laughs> your body is going through something incredibly hard wearing on it. And you don't look glamorous. But when you cross the finish line, it's glorious. Because you stand there and you think, rock on! I just ran the London Marathon! Then you fall over on the ground, shake your legs and work out how to get to where, you're, where you're, um, someone's coming to pick you up. The reason it's glorious as well is not just because you can say, I did it. It's glorious because you know that you endured. It's glorious because it's 26 miles. It's like if you run a 10K and you stop at 6 it's hard work running 6K, but when you stop at 10 and you've reached the finish line, there's a glory in that because you know you've endured to the end. And Jesus endured to the end. Our glorious Saviour went through the most difficult endurance test ever. If you read it in the New Testament, you, you read the story, it kind, you kind of pick it up really a few days before the crucifixion at the end of John's Gospel or you look in the Gospel accounts and you find Jesus' focus has changed and he's not all about healing the sick anymore and he's not, he's, not, he's not really preaching many sermons and he's not around the crowds. He's becoming quite narrow in his focus and he's on his way to Jerusalem and he's got his face set towards something and the disciples don't really understand and even at one point one of them actually says to him, what are you going on about dying on a cross? Don't be ridiculous. And he says, get behind me. Satan. He's focused because he's enduring something and it's already begun the, the, the agony of what he's going through. And if you read the story in Gethsemane where he goes to pray and, and he's, he's on his own. The disciples are just a stone's throw away but he's on his own and he's on his knees and he's praying. And the Bible says he cries out to God with anguish and he says to the disciples, my soul is troubled to the point of death. He's so, he so knows what he's about to endure. And it's not just that he doesn't want to be crucified because he thinks that's going to be really painful. It's not like another criminal going to their death who doesn't want to experience the pain of dying. He knows he's about to re receive from his heavenly father his wrath against sin. The sin that he didn't commit. The sin that we committed. The sin of the world. And he knows he's going to have to endure being cut off from God. Being forsaken. And he does it. And I can tell you, it is glorious. Christ on the cross, crying out, it is finished. There is a glory in that. Even before he's raised from the dead, the fact that he did it, the fact that when they're, when they're reviling him and rebuking him, it says one of the people who's crucified beside him, one of the criminals, says to him in abuse, if you're the son of God, why don't you just get down off this cross and sort this whole thing out? You don't even need to stay here. And Jesus, that is absolutely true. That guy wasn't lying. He's speaking actually an accurate statistic, an accurate fact. Jesus could have called down angels from heaven. He could have just extinguished the life of all his crucifiers. He could have caused a cosmic earthquake to shake the rocks that he would just climb down off the cross. But he didn't. Because he endured and he endured and he endured until it was done. So endurance isn't glamorous, but endurance is glorious and endurance is Christ-like. And I want to encourage you this afternoon that no matter where you're at in the race, maybe today you've not even started running yet, 
but you've come to look and see what all this Christian stuff's about. Maybe you're right near the finish line. Maybe you're warming up. Maybe you're right on the edge. You might have done alpha or just looking or you might have been talking to someone about following Christ and you're, you're, you're like, I, I might, I, I, I don't know, I might go for this. I might, might switch my allegiance. I might change my voting or I might even start this new race. Maybe you've been running for a little while, your early days in your Christian life. Maybe you've got miles under your belt. Maybe you've been going for a, for a good few years. Running with Jesus, you've known him. Maybe since you were a child, you were raised in a family that taught you the gospel. Maybe you're injured. You're in the race, but you're running with a really bad limp. You know, your, your, your hamstring's torn or your Achilles is gone. Maybe you're at mile 21, and I can tell you about mile 21, you feel like giving up. You, you think, I've still got to run five miles. I'm done. I remember running, at that point I was through Poplar, and I remember running through Poplar High Street, and that was the last place I had someone that I knew I was going to be able to see in the crowd that I recognised. And I'd lined it up, and I was so glad when I got to them, because they said, go on, keep going! I was like, I needed to hear that, because I was just reaching the point where my own level of endurance was running out, and I was thinking, why did I do this again? This is a bad idea. I'm not enjoying it. This is miserable, and I'd quite like to stop now. Maybe that's where you're at in your Christian life. Why did I do this again? Why did I give my life to Christ? This is hard. This is, this is really hard. Maybe you need to hear today Christ saying to you, Go on, keep going. Wherever we are, even if we're right near the finish line. This church is too young to have lots of people that are right near the finish line. But, you know, some of us at some point will hear a sermon like this and we'll be right up to the finish line of our lives. At that point, God still wants to meet with you to give you that spirit to endure and to finish well and to run well. So I'm just going to point out a few things from Hebrews 12, 1-2 that help us to understand how we run this race. So if you've got a Bible and you want to turn there, you can. It's only two verses. I'm going to read them so it isn't a problem if you don't have a Bible with you. Hebrews 12 says this, verse 1 and 2. Therefore... Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's, that's the, referring to the previous chapter where the writer of this letter has just listed 15 or so heroes of the faith, witnesses who've gone before all Old Testament characters who have, who have followed God through difficult things. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let's run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. So let's start with the first obvious point from this passage and from the illustration of a race is that you've got to run your race. You've got to run the race that's set out for you. You can't run somebody else's race. In the London Marathon, when you start, there are three different places you can start the London Marathon and you have to go to the place that your race number corresponds to and starts there. There's a start in Greenwich Park, there's a start on Blackheath and there's a separate start for elite runners. And you've got to run your race, which means the first part of your race is going to look different to someone else's because you're on different roads and you're running a slightly different route to them. And I tell you, your Christian life is going to look different to the person next to you. There's something generic about following Jesus that is true for all of us. There are things that he's called all of us to. He describes to those who follow him, he says, take up your cross daily. That's a generic command to all Christians. No one can read that verse and say, oh, that's my verse, not your verse. 
Take up your cross daily and follow me. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength. That's a generic verse. Worship God always. That's a generic verse. Receive power from on high. That's a generic verse. Be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit. Put on love and compassion and kindness. These verses, they're for all Christians everywhere. Every culture, every generation, every age, every stage, every context. They're generic. But there are things about following Jesus that are not generic. Because God doesn't just call a mass crowd. He calls individuals to run their race. And so there are things about your Christian life that are going to be different to mine. Some of those things are circumstantial. Some of them are who you are, who you were born to, where you live, what culture you're in, what your job is, what your skills are, what your gifts are, what you're motivated about. And some of them are going to be purposes. The Bible describes them as good works that God calls you in advance to do. Things that he's got for you to run in that the person next to you isn't going to run in. And one of the challenges we face as Christians, I think, is, is, is a bit like kind of looking to the left and the right and working out what everyone else's race looks like and then trying to work out, how do I run that? And God's not calling you to run someone else's race. I was a blue start person. So I didn't really need to give any consideration to the green start people because they have nothing to do with me. I need to be a blue start person. And some of you, your eyes are on the left and the right and what the worship leader's doing and what the small group leader's doing and what the kids' worker's doing and what the student's doing and what the graduate's doing and what the mum at home is doing and what the person in the office is doing and what the pastor's doing and the preacher. And, the, the, and you need to just know what God is telling you to be doing and not doing the compare and contrast. I remember standing at the start and meeting a lady next to me and she had one of those posh watches. I, I was like a marathon runner who didn't spend any money. So I, I didn't have any equipment. I had decent shoes. That was it. And uh, she had like a posh watch and she said to me, oh, I can, I can work at my heart rate and I can know my like, energy output and when I need to take on fuel. And I was like, oh, that sounds good. And, and I, can, I can work out the pace I'm running all the way around and my watch talks to me and tells me if I'm running too fast or too slow. And I was like, great, I'll run with you. Until I realized we're not going to run the same pace. Your watch is going to be no good for me because I'm running a certain pace because I've learned in my training how fast I can run. And I know that I am like a 9 minute 50 mile girl. I can't run 9 minute 30 miles for 26 of them. I can't do it. Some of you can. I can't. So I knew what I had to do. I knew my pace. So when we started running together, she's a bit quicker than me. And after about two miles, I thought, you know what? I need to get rid of the lady with the watch. It's going to cause me a problem if I try and run like this. And so I just had to drop back, kind of merge into the crowd and say, go, go, run well. And she's off. Because you've got to run your own pace. You've got a personality and a temperament that is yours and it's not the same as mine. I'm like a go-getter. I'm like, I'm like a, I used to get called Scrappy from Scrappy-Doo, from Scooby-Doo. Like Scrappy. Because I'm like, get me at them. I'm always wanting to get on to the next thing and then this and that. And I married someone who is not Scrappy or Scooby, in fact. He's like a steady man. He just, he's kind of steady. And I'm like, blah, blah, blah. you have to get to know your own pace. You have to get to know your own temperament. You have to know what you're like. You can, if you don't understand God's race for you, you can get stuck trying to run someone else's race, someone else's route or someone else's pace. And you can be in the danger of, of, of basically minimizing who you really are because you're so busy looking at who everyone else is. You might be the kind of person who is all out there with the next new initiative and the next new endeavor and you love to start new things and you love to be on the front foot of everything. Or you might be someone who likes to tuck in behind someone else and support them and fuel them as they take that ground. And you're just as important. 
But it's a different pace and a different kind of race. And it's really important that as Christians, we don't fall into the trap of thinking that there's one race and one way to run it. Run it. You know what? You can cross the line to London Marathon in two hours and four minutes, or you can do four hours and 20 minutes, or you can do seven hours. It doesn't matter. It matters that you run. And so for some of us today, we can look around and see these fast people that are streaming ahead and feel like, oh, why am I not her? She's like only been a Christian like six weeks and she's leading on Alpha. And I've been a Christian for like six years and I'm still thinking I should probably do Alpha. (laughs) Go your pace. Run your race. And let yourself be free from comparing to other people. The next thing he says in Hebrews is he says, in fact it comes before but we'll take it as our next point. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. I want you to see this. They're two different things. Lay aside the weight... And sin that clings closely. It is possible to be impeded by sin and weight. Now, if you're a runner, you'll know that. Because when you're heavy, it's harder work. When I took up running, I was really heavy. I was about 13 stone, which for my body shape was heavy. And I pummeled that tarmac with my load. And I knew I need to get rid of some weight because this is really hard work running when you're heavy. You know, like, I don't think any of those marathon runners weigh more than about four stone, do they? They're like like sticks. And you don't see anyone ever racing who is 13 and a half stone. But that's that's where I was at. And I was like a size 18 and I just had two kids and I was like... So how did I get rid of the weight? I didn't go on a diet. I just ran. I ran, and the more I ran, the more my body responded to running, and I got leaner, and I got fitter, and I got more able. And I want to say, for some of us this afternoon, you're carrying extra weight. I don't mean physically. I mean spiritually, you're carrying weight. And the way to shed the weight is to run. Run with Jesus. Look at Jesus. Get to know Jesus. Love him. Be obsessed with him. Let his grace fill your life. Run the Christian run. Walk the Christian walk and the weight will come off. Read the word. Let it go into you. A lot of us, I think, we think we need to sit in a counsellor's chair and get like all the, get everything sorted out first and then I walk with God. It's like I've got a messy life. I've got, like, my parents are divorced and uh, I've got step-siblings. I don't get on with them. And there's like a broken situation back in a few generations back. And I've got an eating disorder and, and I've recently split with my boyfriend and my life's really messy. I need to get all that sorted out and then I can walk with Jesus. Or walk with Jesus and all that will get sorted out. I want to say, if you want to get into running spiritually, run spiritually. You'll find out if you're carrying extra weight. Some of us, we're carrying extra weight in, in and of our personhood. It's like we're, 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 we're the very nature of who we are. We're, we're believing stuff about ourselves that is weighing us down. We're, we're trapped in a mentality of heaviness. We're, I can't do this. I can't be that. I'll never, this will never happen for me. Or too much has gone on in the past and we've got that defining our future. Some of us actually... We're carrying extra weight because we're literally running with bags in our hands. Uh, a few years ago, someone prophesied over me. She, it was a very simple phrase. She just heard God say this phrase to her. And so she said it to me when she was praying for me. And she just said, Livy, the Lord says you can run faster if you put the bags down. Now, if you know me, you'd know I've got a propensity to carry a lot of bags, like physically, literally, but also spiritually speaking, to pick up a lot of stuff and, and, and carry it with me. And some of it's really good stuff. I'm, I really love people. 
And so I get really concerned about how well people are doing and how well people are growing in God and, and finding him. And I get concerned about my friends who don't know Jesus, that they would come to know him and have him in their life. And I get concerned about people in the church and I get concerned about whole churches and I, I, I can carry people and I can care for people. But you know what? It can be like carrying a lot of bags. And when you go for a run, you don't carry a lot of bags, do you? You leave all your bags at home and you just go out with like your phone in your back pocket or your keys or something and you don't take like your handbag and your laptop and your shopping bag and just in case bag. You run light. And, and that prophetic word really helped me, really set me free from carrying a load of stuff. And I think there are people here this afternoon, you, you're carrying a lot of other people. You're carrying a lot of cares. Maybe, you, maybe your cares are actually about yourself. You're carrying anxiety. It's like you're running with weight, heavy weight. And, and the Bible's saying to us, let's lay aside the weight. You can run faster with less bags. Maybe you're carrying an expectation someone else has put on you, and that's heavy. You're supposed to be this. You're supposed to do that. By this point in your life, I would have thought that you would be X, Y, Z. Whoa, that's heavy. Like, like my, our kids, we're really aware. Our kids are growing up. Their mum and dad are preachers. I don't want that to be a weight for them. You don't ever have to preach a sermon, son. You might want to, and God might gift you to, but you don't ever have to. That is not a weight for you to carry. I don't want, I don't want my kids to grow up with the weight of having to lead a church, because we lead a church. I don't even want them to carry the weight of having to be a Christian. I want them to discover for themselves who God is and run their race. And some of us, our parents and our family, have put on us expectations. Some of us, we've put it on ourselves. We said when we were like teenagers or in our early 20s, we said, I'm going to be this by this point in my life. I'm going to have done this. I'm going to have got there. That is a weight. And you're trying to run your Christian life carrying two extra bags. And you know what? You are trudging and it is hard work. And if you drop the bags today, you may just find you can run lighter. For some of us, you know, the, the weight we need to lay aside, the thing that impedes us, the thing that is slowing us down, is actually the people that we've joined ourselves to. We've joined a culture, a way of thinking, a way of talking, a way of socialising. And we don't understand why we can't grow in our walk with God. We don't understand why we can't know more of Him. And we're tied up in like a, a mindset that belongs out of God's presence and it belongs in the world. But we're there. We're at work and we're complaining and we're backbiting and we're, we're on the tube and we just moan, moan, moan about London. Or we're, or we're kind of, we're, we're, we've surrounded ourselves with people that are really critical. And we've become really critical. And it's actually impeding you in your following of Jesus. Some of you, it's the stuff you watch, the stuff you read, what you're soaking in. It's like you're taking on impediment every day. In fact, to be fair, all of us take on impediment every day without noticing it, because that is what it's like to live in the world. That's why we need endurance, to get through and to press through. But for some of us, you know, even as I'm speaking now, the Holy Spirit is just talking to you about stuff, weight that you're carrying that you need to put down. As well as the weight to lay aside, there's the sin that trips you up. It's like running with your shoelaces untied. You know, like, that's one of the, one of the tips you get in a training book before you run a long race, is to get elasticated laces so they can't come undone, so you can't trip up, or you haven't got to stop and break your rhythm to tie your laces. And sin trips you up. And sin, sin, sin entangles you. In fact, it, it says, isn't it, it ensnares you. It clings so closely. And it is like in this picture, you feel, you can almost see it like, it's like round your feet and you just can't get there. Because sin is just knotted around you, ways of responding, ways of thinking, habits that you're in, patterns of life, just, just attitudes, ways that we think, they're just tripping us up. 
I was with someone the other day and we were talking about sin and the ensnaring effect it can have. And she said, oh, I do say sorry for my sin. Uh, but then I sin again. The same sin. And I said to her, is that like a cycle? Are you in the sin sorry cycle? She said, yeah, how do I get out? I said, repent. She said, I do. I said, no, no, sorry is not repentance. Repentance includes sorry. Sorry is not repentance. Sorry is, oh no, I'm flat on my face again and I shouldn't be. Repentance is, I'm flat on my face and I shouldn't be and I'm going to get up and walk the other way. Repentance is a change of mind. Repentance is a change of mindset. If you're not a Christian here this afternoon, repentance is saying to God, I'm wrong in the way that I live and you're right and I want to turn and live your way. It's not sorry, 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 sin, sin, sin. Sorry, 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 sin, sin, sin. Repentance includes power to break free from sin. But when Jesus died for us, he didn't just make it possible for us to be forgiven. He made it possible for us to be free. And we don't want to run this race getting tripped up by the same stuff all the time. Every weekend I'm battling with drink. Every weekend I'm battling with my language or my boyfriend or my girlfriend or, or I'm struggling with honesty or I'm trapped by what's on my computer screen when no one's around or, or I'm struggling to be patient and, and actually calm in the way that I speak to my family. Sin can be like a cycle and we don't want to go in the sin sorry cycle. We want to repent to break the cycle. Another thing to be aware of with running a race is that mile markers help you. When I was training for a marathon, I, um, I, I, actually, I actually wasn't training for a marathon. I was training for a half marathon. And I decided I'd try and run a half marathon. And so I booked in to a, a half marathon that was in South London in October. And I started running longer distances through the summer. And it got to October time. And I, and I, and I managed to do the half marathon. And I was well chuffed because I'd never run that far. Before the, the day of the half marathon, the only distance I'd run was 11 miles. And a half marathon is 13.1. So the last two miles, I was like, I've never run this far ever. I was so excited. With what I'd done. But I tell you, when I crossed the finish line, I couldn't walk another step. I remember, I remember getting across the line with my friend and we just got in the time that we wanted by about three seconds and I was like, we did it. Oh, there's no way I could never go another step. How do people run a marathon? When I got to 13 miles in London Marathon, I was on Tower Bridge, I rang my husband. I'm on Tower Bridge! This is so exciting! How did I get from there, I can never run another step, three months later to, I'm on Tower Bridge! It's because of I knew my distance and my mile markers. When you get to six and a half miles in a 13-mile race, you're halfway. When you get to six and a half miles in a 26-mile race, you're only a quarter of the way. You don't have the little celebratory party thing. It's like when you're doing a 10K and they say 1K, 2K. You're like, don't show me those signs until I'm at least at seven. Then I'm interested. Because really, when you've done two and you've got eight to go, it's not that exciting. But when you've done eight and there's only two to go... Then psychologically you're nearly there. Well, it's a bit like that with our Christian life. We need to know from the outset how far we're going so we know when we're reaching a point that is effectively like a halfway. And it's good to know what season you're in. You know, I felt really different at mile three than at mile nine than at mile 15 and at mile 25. And I think in our Christian walk it's pretty normal to feel different depending on what season of life you're in, depending on what season of your walk you're in, depending on what's going on in your life. You know, if you're going through a season of uncertainty of change, of transition. Maybe you don't know what job you're going to be in the future. Maybe you don't know where you're going to live. You don't know whether you're going to get married or not. You don't know who you're going to marry or you're with someone. You don't know if you're ever actually going to marry that person. Maybe you're waiting to find out if you're going to have any children or you're waiting to find out if you're going to get a new job. It, that's a different season 
to be in, in terms of what you're feeling like and what you're running through, than if you're in the middle of a steady course where you're plotting your way and things are kind of opening out as you expected. Depending on what age you are, depending on what stage of life you're at, depending on what your physical service, if you're sick or someone in your family is seriously sick and you're walking through illness, that is a different season to running through good health. Which means you're going to respond differently. In the same way that at 13 miles in a half marathon I felt pretty awful and at 13 miles in a full marathon I felt great. Because of the season that I was in and because of my expectations. And we need to be wise as to what season we're in in our lives. In our run with Christ. The last thing I want to say about running this race is this. I want you to finish it well. It's a, it's a sobering thought to, um, to look around this room and tell you that in a few years' time, some of you won't be walking with Jesus. But it's true. Because statistically, not everybody makes it. And it's uncomfortable to think about when I came to Christ when I was 15, 14, the people that came to Christ with me and where they are now. And the people that were in our church five years ago and where they are now. And it's sobering to realise not everybody finishes. You know, I, I remember it well. I remember running along the embankment and I remember just seeing people strewn across the road, left and right, who just weren't going to finish. We all set off together, buzzing, excited, 10am Greenwich Park, come on. 2pm embankment, just a trail. And to be honest, mostly blokes who had gone really well at the start. You know, at the beginning, everyone was passing me, because like I said, I'm a, I know my pace, and I just keep going. And they just pass me, and you're thinking, oh, they're going to finish before me. And then towards the end, you find, wow, there's debris across the road. There's literally bodies, people sitting on the curb, someone throwing up, someone there with St. John's Ambulance. Because not everyone makes 26 miles. And not everyone makes the Christian life. Not everyone makes it all the way through uni and still loves Jesus at the end. Not everyone makes it all the way through the season of having young children and being quite disconnected from stuff church-wise. Not everyone makes it through divorce or bereavement or sickness or unemployment. Because these trials and these tests, they, they, they are that. They are trials and they are tests and not everyone gets through. And you know, like I said, it's a sobering thought, but not everyone sitting in the room today is going to be in a worship time in three years' time saying, I love Jesus. We've got to wake up to the reality that this requires some endurance. That if we're going to go the distance, we're going to need to finish well, not just start well. It's great when you meet someone who's just come to know Christ. I love being at New Day every summer because there's these thousands of teenagers saying, I love God. He's amazing. He said this to me. He's done that to me. I've learned this in the Bible. And I'm like, I love it too. And it's the most encouraging week to be there. But I also know that next year, some of them are not going to be back. And for us in our churches, we need to wake up a little bit that unless we understand the reality of the dropout rate, unless we understand the reality of the test and the trial that it is sometimes to keep going with God through hard stuff, through unexplained stuff, through disappointment, through struggle, through stuff not happening like you wanted it to, through things not all turning out rosy, that for some of us we won't be here in a few years' time. But we can do something now that ensures that we finish well. And that is the secret that is hidden in the middle of these two verses. And it is this. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. That's it there. That's how you finish well. 
You know, you don't finish well with a positive mental attitude and some good mantras. Just keep running, just keep running. Because eventually, I mean, 26 miles might not do it for you. Maybe it might take 52 or 100 or you might be one of those crazy people that goes for like a seven-day marathon. Eventually, you'll hit a distance. You can't just keep going. You've got to get something from outside of yourself that gives you what it takes to keep going. And I tell you, in your Christian life, if you're thinking that today's sermon is about how much you need to keep going, it's not. It's about where you need to look so that you can keep going. Jesus is the only one that's going to make it possible for you to keep going. He, even he himself had to look to heaven to keep going. And he's the son of God. Why, when he's in Gethsemane, is he praying? Why does God send an angel to strengthen him? Because he needs to endure. And he needs outside help to endure. If Jesus needed an angel to strengthen him, I think we could do with some outside help. And so God has given us what we need in this. He has said, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He has run ahead of you. He's the one that has made it possible for you. He's the one who endured the cross and despised its shame. You know, when he went on the cross, the Bible says he was there in our place. If we don't know him this afternoon, what what you need to know first and foremost about Jesus Christ is that he has gone where you should go. He's gone there already. He stood before God. He's dealt with your sin. He's told him all about it. And he's received from the Heavenly Father, from the Holy Judge of the whole earth, he's received all the penalty and punishment that should be coming to you when you breathe your last. Jesus has already gone there. He's gone ahead of you to your deathbed. He's taken what was due to come to you. He took it on himself 2,000 years ago on a cross. And he's taken all of it that's why the bible says when he drank the cup of the wrath of god there's not a drop left for us there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ it says in the bible if you've come this afternoon you don't know jesus the first thing you need to know about jesus the most important thing you need to know is he's the son of god who took your place on the cross when he died he's your substitute and he's the one that enables you to run he's not looking on to see how well you can sort it out on your own he's telling you You can't sort it out on your own. I've sorted it out for you. Now come to me and receive power and grace and strength. And that's why this verse, this encouragement, this exhortation is such good news to us. Because God is saying, look to Jesus. He's your hydration and your nutrition. You know, when you, when you run a long distance race, you don't just like load up with fluid at the start and then hope that you've taken enough on to go all the way through. You drink little and often all the way through the race. Every mile, there's a, there's a cup of water waiting for you to take on. And after a couple of hours of running, you start to take on other hydration and nutrition. You might take on a banana or some sweets or some glucose tablets or something, but you take on stuff because you can't do four and a half hours or, or however long it's going to take you of running without hydration and nutrition. Do you know what? You can't do the Christian life unless you've got hydration and nutrition from Jesus Christ and it's not enough to say oh I went to church on Sunday got my fix got my hydration great sermon good worship time set up for the week no you need to be hydrated again tonight you're going to need it in the morning when you wake up you're going to need it on the tube on the way to work you're going to need it by lunchtime when you've read five statuses on Facebook you're going to need hydration nutrition by the time you get home if you've got kids you're probably going to need it by 3.15 when they come out of school You're going to need it every time you check your bank balance, every time you consider your rent, every time you work out what's going on in your life. You're going to need hydration and nutrition from Jesus because you're going to be like, flip, this race is hard. You need to keep looking to Jesus. We need to keep looking to the one who endured for us. He's our substitute. He's our hope. He's our strength. He's our everything. Really, the Christian life is about running like that. It's that. That's your run. It's not even looking in on me. How much can I manage? 
What can I do? What have I got? What can I pull out of the bag at the last minute? It's about looking to Jesus. And, and you know what? It's really important you hear this. Listen to how he describes Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. He could have just stopped there, couldn't he? Look at the cross. There he is. He's hanging there for you. He's died for you. He's made you right. Just look at that. Just look at the cross. There's Jesus on the cross for you. There's your salvation. There's your forgiveness. There's your hope. There's your cleansing. There you go. It's all right. You've got a saviour who's done it for you. He's taken your punishment. But he doesn't stop there because he goes on, he says, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because we need to not just see Jesus on the cross. We can't be so uh, enamoured with Christ's crucifixion that we miss that he rose from the dead and lives in glory in heaven. We've got to go beyond the cross. We've got to start at the cross and stay at the cross, but we've got to see past the cross as well. We need to look at Jesus, the founder and perfecter, who's on the cross and right now is at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, who has won for us, who is victorious for us. That's how you endure. You see a victor. You see a winner who's ahead of you. And he says to you, come on, I've already won. It's like someone saying to you, here's some new legs for the next 10 miles. Boof. And, and another 10 miles, boof. And I've got another pair when those ones run out. Because I've already won. Jesus is the victor. He's not just the crucified king. He's the reigning king. And if we see him seated at the right hand of God, we suddenly find we get fresh wind. You know, it's a bit like that chariots of fire thing when the music starts. Dun, 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 dun. You feel it. You're like, I want to go for a run. Come on. Why is that? Because you're watching a champion running and you're motivated about running. Let's watch our champion who's run for us. Let's get, let's get into the habit. Let's hydrate often. Let's hydrate in our lunch hour. Let's hydrate by text message, by texting each other's scriptures. Let's hydrate by listening to stuff in our heads that's going to fill our minds with something decent instead of the junk that's out there on social media and on the TV and on the news and in every magazine and every billboard advert that is trying to get in your head every day. Let's hydrate with something decent. You know, if you were running the London Marathon and someone offered you a Coke, it would be sensible to tell them to take a running jump. You don't really need a Coke at that point. You need water. At best, you might need something like Lucas said. You don't need Coke. It's going to give you a sugar rush and you're going to crash. You need sustenance that's going to do you good. You don't need to get your fix from the world. You need to, the hydration, the nutrition that comes from knowing Christ, from seeing him every day. And not just once a day in your kind of, you know, the classic, I'm a Christian, I have a quiet time. You don't need that even. You need more than that. You need to hydrate through the day. One of the things I love about being around Steph and Davina who lead this church is that they're like Jesus people. I remember being with Davina at New Day, which did not used to be her most favorite place. <laughs> and still isn't. She's telling me. And she's just singing all day. There's no one, there's no one like Jesus. And there's no water in the caravan. And the bed is broken. <laughs> and Levi fell out the window last night. And I've just thrown up. And Melody isn't sleeping. And this is the most stressful place in the world to be. And where is Steph? <laughs> but there's no one, there's no one like Jesus. All the time. And I caught that off her. I was like, she, she just has him like hydration. She's got one of those, you know, those backpack things, those camelbacks. She's got her straw in. Taking him in all the time. We need to be like that. God wants us to hide, be hydrated by seeing himself. So let's stand. Let's worship him. Let's, let's lift our eyes to him. I think we're going to take communion. And um, I've brought some guys with me here who are quite prophetic. And we'd love to pray for some of you. If you, if you feel like, do you know what? I, I'm limping in the race. I'm, I'm, if I'm honest, I'm limping. Or even I've taken a side, side path. 
I don't think I'm even running at the moment. We want to pray for you and encourage you. If you feel like, I'm running really well, but I want to see a bit more of Jesus, we're up for praying for you too. If you feel like, I'm not sure I've even started this race, but I want to know more, we're up for praying for you. We'd love to bless you with the things that God can say to us for you about your lives. But for all of us here, I want us to see Jesus, the one who's the perfecter, the founder of our faith, who's sitting at the right hand of God, who's won, who has run and won for us. And so I'm just going to pray for us. Father, I thank you that your son did it. You did it, Lord Jesus. You did the marathon of marathons. You did the endurance event of the century. You endured the cross. You scorned its shame. You took on, as it were, all of our shame at the cross. You took on what we couldn't have taken, what would have obliterated us. You took and you, and you died and you were raised again. And you're at the right hand of God right now in the heavens. That you've forgiven us, that you've washed us, but more than that, you're putting power in us to endure. I thank you that you still want us to be here in 10 years time and 20 years time and 30 years time and you want your church to have grown and multiplied by then and to have spawned hundreds of other churches full of people who are still going to be here in decades of time. And so we cry out to you and we say, God, we need that enduring spirit, Lord, to run with perseverance. I pray for those who've got weak knees, God, and drooping hands. I pray today you administer to them hope and strength, Father. I pray for those who are running with bags, that today they'd put them down. Lord God, I pray for those who are running with limitations, words that have been spoken, like we heard earlier in the worship, that have cut off for them great pathways of your purposes. Lord, I pray today for freedom. Lord Jesus, we want to see you. You're our hydration. You're our nutrition. You're our banana at mile six. You're our water at mile 12, Lord Jesus. You're everything. You're our fresh legs at mile 25. We want to see you today, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you.